Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has Rome. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. McKinley Wright from the logo. Got it. Oh, McKinley Wright. Welcome in to the DNVR Buffs podcast presented by Drift Car Sharing. I'm Henry Chisholm, and there are a lot of things that I want to talk about today. Uh, it always kind of surprises me still that even this time of year, uh, before we get into like the middle of basketball season, the Pac-12 basketball season, when they're starting to shape up before conference play, you know, honestly, when they're a little bit disappointing, that there's still so much to talk about when football isn't going on, when most of the other sports aren't playing at all. Um, but there are a few things to talk about today. And uh, the first one's going to be uh, LaVisca Chenault, because Todd McShay released his um, first mock draft for this year. Um, and I thought that there was some interesting stuff happening there. And I want to talk a little bit about that. There's some other news-type things that I want to hit. Uh, and then uh, second segment, we're going to get into the basketball game. Uh, the Buffs played Colorado State Friday night in Fort Collins. And uh, you know what? It, it really didn't go great. Um, we'll get We'll get into that. The Buffs did win, but it was a little bit uglier than you would have liked to see. Um, and then we're going to cap the show off uh, because it is the first signing week. We'll call it signing week. I don't know if we, I don't know. That was a weird thing to say. But um, <laughs> the first signing day is on Thursday. And so I want to talk a lot about these recruits this week. And I want to start by going through which ones I think have the best shot to actually see the field as true freshmen. Um next fall and uh i think it's gonna be pretty interesting uh looking back this year uh there, there were a few who were out there um and there'll probably be more next year uh before we get into all of that though i want to tell you more about drift car sharing drift car sharing is incredible uh instead of paying for parking you can just park for free at their lot and then they'll rent your car out and then make money off of it, and then share the profit with you. Uh, it's a great deal. They'll clean your car even if they can't rent it. You still get to park for free. Uh, if somebody does rent your car, it's insured by Allstate. Uh, there isn't anything to worry about. It's it's an incredible service. It's the way all airports will be running in the future. Uh, Denver is one of the first few that Drift has broken into, and it's just incredible. And they support us. Hopefully, you guys will support them. Uh, for more information, you can go to drivedrift.com. Okay. Um, we're going to start this with a bit of a tangent. So, uh, the Sunday night football game just ended. And uh, it was kind of a crazy night for me because of the way the fantasy football season is ending. And I know that nobody cares about other people's fantasy football teams. And so, I'm going to make this quick. And I'm not going to hit on the specifics. I'm just going to say that... I had Drew Brees and a very small lead. Uh, my opponent had uh, Marlon Mack, uh, not Jimmy Graham, Jared Cook, and uh, Michael Thomas. And so there was a whole bunch going on. And this was the uh, end of the loser bracket. This was the last place game. And on the line was a 12-hour trip to Denny's for the loser. And uh, for every... For every pancake you can eat, you get 20 minutes taken off. So that was the punishment for our fantasy league. I wound up in the bottom two. Um, so basically, you eat six pancakes. You get to take two hours off the 12 hours. You don't have to sit there for 10 hours. If you can eat 18 pancakes, 
then well you can do the math for yourself oh that's six hours that's half that's perfect so if you can eat 18 pancakes in six hours you get to leave um thank goodness i don't have to do that uh, I would have like periscoped it though because I I I don't know what I would do there for that long. I I don't even think I could eat that many pancakes, uh, compared to some of the people in my league. Um, I snuck out with a win, um, just barely. So I'm feeling pretty good right now. Finished watching that game. Was about to do the podcast and then realized that Todd McShay drops his uh, first mock draft of the year uh, right after the game on ESPN. And so I watched that. Uh, there was some interesting stuff in there for sure. Um, Andre Simone and I will dig into it all in depth, I'm sure, on the podcast, uh, the draft podcast in a couple days here. We haven't picked a day yet this week. But um, what's relevant here for this podcast is pretty much just LaVisca Chenault. Um, I will say that there are a lot of really angry people on Twitter um, the, the, the way most draft boards have been lining up, um, did those, those draft boards did not align with what Todd McShay said was going to happen tonight. Again, this is his prediction, his projection before you go through free agency, before you even know the final draft order. So it's early, but because Todd McShay is the top draft analyst at ESPN, uh, or I guess Mel Kuyper's have him. He's the, he's the number two draft analyst at ESPN. We've we've got to dig into it, um, mostly because it's kind of interesting to see. So um, I've been prefacing this a lot with different stories and such, but I have one more preface, and that's that this is mock draft 1.0, and so that's just like the first real one he releases. He also releases a a, a draft that he calls the uh, way too early projection and uh, that that dropped in May and uh, in that draft uh, LaVisca went number eight to New York and uh, then a whole bunch of things have happened that was six months ago he got through the full football season he was banged up most of the way and in this mock draft um, he ended up falling to 16th overall uh, going to Oakland, um, that that made him the uh, let's see. So here's here's the order of the receivers. Number three was Jerry Judy uh, out of Alabama. Six was C.D. Lamb out of Arizona or out of Oklahoma going to Arizona. Uh, number fourteen, the fourteenth overall pick, T. Higgins going to Clemson. Uh, Fifteen, Justin Jefferson from LSU. Uh, then 16, Visca. That makes him number five out of all the receivers. Uh, Henry Ruggs third, going 18th to, out of Bama to uh, Indianapolis. And six, seventh, seventh receiver, 23rd overall pick. Brandon Ayuk from Arizona State, uh, a guy who I really like in terms of a draft, draft prospect. The eighth and final receiver taken in the first round of the draft, Devontae Smith from uh, Alabama. Three Alabama receivers going in the first round. Uh, pretty crazy. Eight total receivers is just insane. Um, he has Visca slotting in fifth. And like I said, a lot of people, or 16th, fifth, fifth among the receivers. Wow, this is all jumbled. But um, yeah, a lot of people have a lot of different reactions to this. Um, there's some weird stuff. Uh, but again, this is his projection. This is based on what he's heard, what he's seen, how he thinks. Um, the pre-draft process is going to play out. Um, if he were to make bets on who is going to be picked where, this these are the bets that he would make. Um, again, there's stuff like uh, Tristan Wirfs, the, the tackle, who is pretty much considered a lock to be a top 12 pick and is very likely a top 10 pick. He's fallen to 30th in this mock draft. Um Christian Fulton, a cornerback LSU who's typically going up at the top, uh, falling to 28th. Um, I'm not wanting to dig too much into anything other than Visca right now, but I do want to say that this is kind of a weird projection. And uh, maybe take things with a grain of salt or also say like Todd McShay sees things way differently than the rest of us, and he could be right. Um, 
we'll obviously dig into this whole thing on the draft podcast. Some of the more surprising picks, um, whether Andre thinks he's crazy or whether, I mean, a lot of this lines up with a lot of what we've said. Brandon Ayuk, again, a guy that we keyed in on. Okay, back to LaVisca Chenault, though. There's a little blurb written about him, and it says, we went playmaking corner at number 11 for the Raiders. Now let's go playmaking wide receiver here. Coach John Gruden will love Chenault's versatility and after-the-catch skill set. After the Antonio Brown trade didn't work out, only two teams' receivers have tallied fewer receiving yards this season than the Raiders. Makes sense. It all makes sense. The fit makes sense. I think 16 makes a lot of sense. Um, I, I saw. I think there are still some people holding out hope that he falls to the second round so that the Broncos can swoop him up. That is not going to happen. You know, he, he's a guy who, if he's projected 25th or 26th or 27th right now, once all these scouts actually get their hands on him and he goes through the combine and goes through all of these other things that he's going to go through, gets tested, um, they see how fast he is. They, they measure him and see he actually is as big as he looks. Um, he's probably going to be the strongest receiver to ever be drafted. I don't know what the bench press record for receivers is, but if Visca doesn't compete for it, I would be amazed. The jumping, the everything, he is going to be off the charts. Um, and you can see most of it in the way he plays, but to actually have numbers on paper that prove that what you're seeing is correct, uh, that that's very valuable to the people who make those decisions. He's going to be moving up draft boards, assuming he doesn't have another injury setback or you know the medicals don't come back um, a little bit ugly for him, which again is possible, but I would be surprised. Um, I would be surprised. I think what happened this season was basically just that he never really fully got healthy and he got close. And I remember, I can't remember, it was a little over halfway through the season. It was after the, or- oh, it was after a bye week, um, I, I believe. Um, when when Visco was saying um, he feels really good and he feels the best he's felt all season and somebody asked, I can't, was it me? I can't remember, but I think it was me. I think I asked, like, how how far are you from 100%? And he said, I'm really, really close. But he just never got to 100% health this season. And I, I almost feel like because he never got there, he wasn't able to maintain. You know, when you're at 80%, you're taking a couple more hits because you're just a little bit slow. You you aren't finishing runs the way you typically do. Um, you just I mean, It's kind of like what Steven Montez said when he s- said he decided he was going to start running the football more. Um, basically said, you know, the, the problem is when you only half run and you're half after it, that's when you get hit. As long as you commit, you're fine. It's when somebody like grabs you from behind and you don't see it coming that bad things happen. Um, or when you're just kind of like standing still and letting somebody hit you instead of hitting them. Um, we don't need digging this whole Steve Montez thing, but that's the same thing that kind of happened to this guy. I felt like he just didn't quite have himself all together and because of that if he was 80 percent one week and a good week of practice got him up to 85 percent then after the game he falls back down to 75 percent and then the next week he falls down to 70 percent and then he misses a game and because he got a week off or he had a bye week he gets up close to 90 95 but but he just never got to 100 percent which is a lot easier to maintain than something in the middle um in hindsight i think i think It'd probably have been better for Colorado if Visco would have just sat out a game or two, gotten himself healthy, um, come back 100% for most of the games instead of playing. Or I, I don't know. How many games did he play? Did he miss one or two? I don't have it pulled up right now. But, but yeah, it's a, it's a learning lesson maybe for this coaching staff I don't know they might stand by it they might say that we got as much out of him as we possibly could have we don't think we would have gotten too much more if we hadn't and again I they have more information than I have and if they say that's right then I'd believe them um at the same time we've talked a lot about learning recently and how coaches have to learn play callers have to learn um at any moment, young coaches can totally change their philosophy based on what they learn 
right there. Um, we talked about a little bit, I think on this podcast, I think it was on this podcast with the Broncos where RK was saying uh, Rich Gangarello, he, he's just defending leads. He's, he's not trying to add on to them as soon as the Broncos get up. Rich Gangarello, the offensive coordinator, just starts running the ball, trying to grind the clock, and they've got caught from behind. And uh, then all of a sudden, it didn't work. And so the next week, he came out and tried to pile the points on. And it worked. And people were saying that he's way too conservative with leads after seeing him those couple of weeks. Well, all of a sudden, that might have just changed in front of our eyes because... It, that isn't a personality trait. That's not who he is. That's how he thinks he should coach. And because he's young, it's very malleable. Um, and he may have learned that, you know, more often than not, it's best to be aggressive. Is that going to bite you at some point? Are you going to throw a pick and give up the win when you could have just run the clock out? Maybe, but but the odds are better if you keep being aggressive. And that's the same stuff that kind of happens. And Visca's case may be an example of that. You have your star. How much do you use your star? Are you trying to force feed him the ball? How many touches do you get him? 10, 15, 20 a game? Again, all things that depend on the coaching staff. Um, what if what if it had been Jerry Judy at uh, Colorado and Visca had gone to Bama? Remember that? Remember Visca almost went to Bama? And they have three receivers going in the first round of this draft. And another, again, it, his mock draft didn't go past the first round, but who would be a second or third round pick likely? Um that could have been insane. But let's just flip them. You know, if Jerry Judy is is at Colorado instead of Visca, how much how many touches does he get? Is he going in the Wildcat because he is so much more talented than the rest of Colorado's playmakers? They may have try had had to force the ball to him too. Um that's just the way it works when you have that sort of imbalance of talent at, at positions where players can hold the ball. Um Again, I, I, I think it's kind of tough to, to take a real takeaway from this, at least as an outsider. Um, should Colorado have... I mean, I do think Colorado Mel Tucker should have pulled Visca for one or two games, let him get all the way healthy. Um, that said, assuming he is healthy... I don't know whether you try to get him the ball more than the offense would typically dictate or whether you just let it play the way it's supposed to play out. Um, And again, these are the things that these coaches are still learning. Um, Because pretty much, I mean, at least least Jay Johnson, uh, Mel Tucker, this is more power than they've had in the past. Um, Mel did have the five-game stint at uh, Jacksonville with the Jaguars when he was the interim head coach, but this is his first full-time uh, coaching job. Jay Johnson, as a play caller, again, it's it's important to learn. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I do expect improvement from the coaching next year. It's it's very easy to look at this team and say, could you see this offense improving? I think that, you know, again, these are things we've talked about before. The running game should probably improve. That line might struggle a little bit earlier because you are replacing some pieces, but you have an even better group of running backs next year than you did this year because of the additional experience, because you have a shot Clayton. Um, In the passing game, it was just so inconsistent that if you can just consistently do a little bit above the average of what happened this season, then all of a sudden the offense is better. Defensively, again, a couple guys who you replace, but this defensive line should be incredible. You can see how it could improve. And we talk about those things, but we don't talk enough about how the coaching could also improve and how that plays just as much of a part. Uh, And I do think that that's important. And uh, you don't get talents like Visca very often, and uh, it, it's not like next year they're going to have some new Visca and the lessons they learn are going to play out in front of us there. But, you know, it's, it's, it's important to, to go through because at some point you are going to have another, another star who's a top 10, 15 pick in the NFL draft. 
Um, that's probably enough of that for now. Uh, a couple more notes. Uh, Sam Neuer is transferring. Uh, he, he was a quarterback at Colorado. He switched to safety when he realized that there wasn't a path. He he is going in the transfer portal, according to 247 Sports. Um, oh, and I wanted to talk about how LaVisca Chenault is basically Taysom Hill. You know what? Let's get into it. If this goes long, we'll, we'll all live. Um, there isn't too much to say, but watching that Saints game tonight, it, it's been really hard for me to draw a comparison for Visca. Um, because he is such a unique talent, because he does so many different things. Um, you know, I think, I can't remember if I said or if I wrote it, but but I, I said Christian McCaffrey is like a blend of Julian Edelman and Le'Veon Bell, and he has some traits from both, and it makes him this weird hybrid-type player who can play running back, but you can also play him a receiver, and he's a great route runner for running back. There are a whole bunch of different ways that you can use him. Um for Visca, he's also a hybrid player, but it's a different type of hybrid. It's almost like a Julio Jones mixed with Kyle Juszczyk, the fullback from uh, the 49ers. And and how you use that blend is just so unique. There aren't many players like it. And it wasn't until tonight watching Taysom Hill play that I was like, oh, wow. I actually think that that right there is pretty similar. Taysom is technically a quarterback and might be the quarterback for the Saints going forward. But outside of that, a lot of it's the same. I, I think that Visca's the better just true receiver. Um, so it's not like a one-to-one comparison. You, you, you exchange some quarterback skills for, for some wide receiver skills. But uh, again, it's, it's the physical hybrid. It's a power hybrid playmaker instead of like a speed finesse type, if that makes sense. Uh, I'm uh I'm really excited to see Visca in the NFL. Um just to see how he's used. Um it it would be a lot of fun to to be an offensive coordinator and have him in an offense, especially an offense where he isn't head and shoulders better than everybody else on the field. You know, when when he doesn't have to be the focal point on every single play when you can put him at tight end or H back, just move him around. And the defense isn't just going to first look at where Visca is and then figure out the rest of what they're doing. And you don't have to force feed him the ball because you can just let the system bring him open naturally. It's, it's going to be a lot of fun to see what an NFL team can do with him. Um, again, special talent. I'm not, all that concerned with the injuries. Uh, I don't think you you want to put him on a snap count. I don't think you want to put him on a touch count because, you know, if, if you were just to say, you know what, Visco, we aren't putting you in the Wildcat anymore, you're losing so much of his value. Uh, same thing if you say we're not going to put you at H-back because it's more physical, there's more blocking because of the, the hitch you'll probably take in the middle of the field. If, if you use Visca cautiously, if you tell him to duck out of bounds when he can, or, or even half the time when he can, or when he's going to pick up one additional yard for fighting instead of picking up four additional yards for fighting after he's hit, um, you just lose so much of his value. And all of a sudden, he's not a first-round talent. Because if you're just planning on lining Visca up at receiver and ask him to do typical receiver things like he's still really good at it but is he worthy of that probably not but all these different things he can do how you can use him as a swift swiss army knife that's where his value comes from and and if he does end up again knock on wood not staying healthy enough to play a full nfl career well then that's too bad but if 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 you're thinking he's worthy of that pick, you can't use him cautiously. You can't use him scared um, because you're not getting the value of a first-round pick out of it anyway. Um, so those are kind of my takes. And again, the the injury concerns, that's why he's falling to 16th in this mock draft. Otherwise, he'd be top 10 I mean he was top 10 before the season and and even then he was coming off multiple off-season surgeries 
So who knows? The sky's the limit for Visca. Question's just whether he's going to stay healthy. Um, whoever gets him is going to have so much fun with him. Uh, hopefully it's not the Raiders. Um, I will say just because there's so many Broncos fans here uh, that the Broncos at 12 take Grant Delpit in this mock draft, just so that you guys don't have to Google for yourself if you're wondering. Um, okay. Uh, probably time to move on now. I, I did want to mention... I, I I haven't done a good job following along with all these postseason soccer awards because I don't really know what they are. Um, some of them are very self-explanatory. I understand that... Uh, so you have like your conference, and you can be all-conference, and Taylor was first-team all-conference. Taylor Korniak was. Uh, J.J. Tompkins, the goalkeeper, was second-team all-conference. Um, and then you have the regional teams. And so that's like the Pac-12, the Big Sky, the, I don't know. But there are, there are only like a few regions. And and Taylor and JJ, it was announced like a week or two ago that they had both made those teams. And then there were more awards today. Um, JJ made, like I, th- I think it was a first team national scholar athlete team. Uh, Might have been second team. And then uh, Taylor made third team top 11 from top draw soccer. So that's like an All-America team. Um, and she made third team on that. I think there's more on the way. I don't it's, – it's all really complicated. But I do want to give them props for all of that stuff. Uh, okay. On to Breckenridge Brewery and the Strawberry Sky. Uh, one of my favorite parts about Twitter every day – is that as I'm scrolling through, there's always somebody tweeting about the Strawberry Sky. There's always a listener to DNVR who says, oh, I finally found it. And today I think there was somebody who said, like, we're out in Iowa. Or maybe they were in Missouri. They might have been out there for the Chiefs game. And they're like, oh, we just happened to find the Strawberry Sky. It was the perfect way to end the day. And, and that's what it was today. It's cool to see the reach that this is having, especially with, like, the DNVR tag- tie-in because, like, they tag us, they tag Breck Brew. Like, hey, look, we, we're finally trying it, and it's as good as you say. Um, and the Strawberry Sky, more than any other beer from Breckenridge Brewery, gets that treatment from the DNVR family, uh, which is, honestly, it makes sense. It's my favorite. It's probably their most unique beer. Like, all their beer is really good, but, like, if you wanted to find an IPA, you could find an IPA probably that's, you know, maybe kind of similar to the Hot Peak IPA, which is Breckenridge's IPA. You just don't find anything that's like the Strawberry Sky. Like, you don't find strawberry Kolsch ales that are like that anywhere. Or at least I haven't. At least I haven't. Um, it's an incredible beer. It's so good. Uh, I hope you guys have tried it. And if you haven't, then you probably should. Uh, if you don't know where to find it, you can use the beer locator on Breckenridge's website and it'll tell you the nearest locations like you can click like within 50 miles how many can or where which beers can I find or like where can I find the strawberry sky what are the what's the nearest one and it'll be like two miles because they're pretty much everywhere even in Montana wise up in Missoula I used it and within like 10 miles or 15 miles of Missoula there were I want to say like 20 something different places where you could find Breckenridge beers. It's everywhere. Uh, 36 States now. Definitely check it out. Uh, I also want to tell you about uh, Denver rubber company and you know what? The, the best part about Denver rubber company is that it's local and it's, it's, it's just been here so long. It's a part of the culture. Uh, started in 1972. Uh, it's, Provides the highest quality of products from custom die-cut gaskets, molded rubber, uh, to custom contract manufacturing and custom hoses. And guess what? Snow is coming, and we've already had a taste of it. Uh, You'll need Denver Rubber Company when it comes to anything snowplows. DRC can cut to size and pre-slot most snowplow rubber. The blades can be cut to any length and be slotted for mounting to meet your exact specifications. We went and checked out their warehouse a few weeks back, and it was nothing short of amazing. These guys have created proprietary materials that make up the inside of wind termo- term- ooh, turbine blades, and we even witnessed 
the machines that cut the material that are used in bulletproof vests. Remember, Denver Rubber Company custom makes it all, and you can purchase products for yourself and, of course, buy bulk at a fantastic rate. They're family-owned business with loyalty only to the people, just like all of us here at DNVR. Be sure to call them today for any snowplow needs, custom gaskets, hoses, etc. at 1-800-259-0010 or you can visit them at drcfirst.com slash dnvr and tell them who sent you. Okay, uh, I want to dig into this basketball game now. Honestly, don't want to spend too much time on it uh, because it seems like, again, I... I have very similar things to say as I've had to say in the past. Um, and, and that is that this basketball team is good enough to beat a whole lot of other basketball teams when they're playing really bad basketball. They are just that talented. They're, that's just the advantage that you have when you have the experience, you have, the whole combination of all the different things from NBA talent to elite Pac-12 talent and a point guard who's one of the best. You know, they have all of the pieces you need to win. And if if they're all working together at 60%, they're going to beat Colorado State. And that's what happened. Um, that's obviously what's most important, uh, that they did pull out the win and... You know they're they're eight and two, and I don't want to be down on this basketball team. There are months to go before they need to be playing their best basketball. I I I they're going to get there. They're going to they're going to look like the basketball team we all expected them to look like. The question is when is that, and will they sustain it? You know, is there just like two weekends in January where we say, oh wow? There it is. They look really good, and then they fall back into this. Or once they figure it out, do they maintain that and carry it through? Uh, just is—is is it a rhythm thing? Do they just not know what it feels like to play good team offense, to not turn the ball over, um, to cut off ball, to initiate the offense? All these things. Like as soon as as soon as they feel it, I think that there's a good chance that they'll be able to maintain it. Again, it's it's gone on for ten games now. Uh, there are no guarantees, um, other than I do think that we'll we'll see this offense click, at least at points. I think I've been saying variations of a lot of this over and over again this season, and it's because that's pretty much been the story of every game. They have eight wins, and they really haven't looked like what they're supposed to look like in any of them. Um, before this Colorado State game, uh, the Buffs were on a two-game losing streak. They had they had gotten by with all these flaws up until the Kansas game. Not a surprise that they didn't get by on them with them there, when um, they didn't respond, and that was concerning. You know, I, I had said before that I wanted to see them take that step to look like themselves before Kansas to have a bit of a dress rehearsal because it's so hard to turn it on against a team like that. Um, but they just didn't have it. Uh, Kansas then uh, beat them 72-58. And then Colorado moved on and next played uh, Northern Iowa at home and lost that game as well, 79-76. It was very contested. Um Northern Iowa actually passed Colorado in the rankings today. Neither team is ranked. They're both receiving votes. But uh, Colorado is now down to 37th, if you like count out uh, the the also receiving votes category. So that's too bad. Because I still think that watching that Northern Iowa-Colorado game, it was pretty clear which team was or should be better. I think it was pretty clear that Northern Iowa was the better football team that night. Um, Colorado was falling asleep, giving them open threes, and they were knocking down all the open threes. Um, they, they have the shooters for that. Colorado has a bunch of other things going for it. They just weren't able to make them go for it. So so that was the problem there. 
Um, and, and that's, that's frustrating. That's really frustrating. And then against Colorado State, you see pretty much the exact same problems that you've been seeing. They weren't able to respond after losing a couple of games. I mean, they did enough to get the win. And it, like I said, that's what's most important. Get the wins, build that resume. But they have a tough stretch coming up this weekend. They play Dayton on Saturday in Chicago, 4.30 Mountain Time start. And uh, Dayton's really good. Dayton's the 13th ranked team in the country. Uh, if Colorado had played the way it's supposed to all season, then they're probably 15 to 20-ish. But they didn't. And so now we're here. And that's definitely fair, by the way. Uh, I do think that that ranking 37th for Colorado is just about right. Um, again, there are 300 Division One basketball teams, so being in the top 10% or so is really good but the team is not playing well and 37th seems like what they've shown as soon as they show I, I here's the thing they have a lot more upside than most teams they're going to be right next to them in those rankings a lot of those teams don't have the potential to turn it up a notch and to jump in the top 25 or top 20 or even top 15 which I still think Colorado can do uh, they just aren't doing it um Dayton, though, number 13. It's basically going to be a home game because uh, Dayton is pretty close to Chicago. Obi Toppin is one of the few players in in the country who's really playing better than Tyler Bay. Uh, Tyler's played a lot of good basketball. I, he's fallen out of all the advanced metrics in the last couple of games. But uh, even even when he was listed as, like, you know, the Ken Palm, one of the top players nationally, uh, that which I think ended at that Kansas game when he kind of fell off. But uh, Obi Toppin was still right there with him, typically ahead of him. That's your challenge, and that should be pretty much a, a kind of kind of a one-on-one matchup between uh, Toppin and Tyler Bay. Toppin six foot nine, uh, Bay six foot seven, but obviously has the length has a decent amount of weight to him um but play kind of similar games and uh that's going to be really hard for Colorado to win and honestly I mean the way they're they've been playing it it's hard to pick them in that game uh if they had been playing the way they could then it it'd still be tough it'd be a 50-50 pick them just knowing that they have that in them isn't enough to make me pick them to actually win this game. Um, but here's the thing, and this is the point that I wanted to make, is that they also play Prairie View Thursday night at the CU Event Center, and that game is going to be their dress rehearsal for the Dayton game. That's their last chance to get everything looking right before they take on a team that's really good. Uh, it's kind of like what Loyola Marymount was before the Kansas game. Um, hopefully that's where we see them take the step again at this point when they're 10 games deep and we still haven't seen it it's tough to bet on them to make that happen in any game but it could and at some point I still really do think it will okay we got kind of off we haven't really even gotten in to the Colorado game but uh or the Colorado State game let's do that now um kind of kind of a weird start um, Buffs were not shooting well from the field, were really struggling, um, but still went out to a 12-2 lead purely because their defense was so good, um, because the rebounding was good, and uh, Colorado State just didn't quite have the talent. It seemed like... I had this weird feeling at that point in the game, which was that, you know, if the Buffs are going to be playing still this pretty ugly style of basketball and still get out to this 10-point lead, this game won't even have a chance to get close. Like, how could it? Um, But then it did. Uh, Things got worse for Colorado. Things got a little bit better for Colorado State. Um, 
got it turned into a tie with three or four minutes to go and uh colorado made the late run to pull away to win and ended up winning 56 to 48 should be putting up a lot more points than 56 against uh this colorado state team um okay that that's basically how the game went but uh shane gatling leading scorer it was good to see him get going. And I, and I think I tweeted this during the game, but I think I've said it on this podcast too. But every night, you're not going to have all of your three-point shooters clicking. You just have to have one or two or hopefully three. And if you have three, you're probably going to have a really good night. We hadn't seen a night like this from Shane Gatling yet. You know, we finished up going four of six from three. That's massive. Um we we knew he had that in him. We knew he's a good three-point shooter. Also knew he was streaky. But now you've seen him be part of the group of guys who can make enough threes to give you a real three-point shooting threat uh, on any given night. And that's the way it's going to work when you have, you know, McKinley Wright, Deshaun Schwartz, uh, Eli Parquet probably, even Tyler Bay, Lucas Seward, Shane Gatling, uh, Dylan Koontz, Maddox Daniels, you know, only a couple of those guys are real sharpshooters or at least profiles, real sharpshooters. No, nobody really has been so far this season, but all of those guys have the potential on any given night to get hot. And that's all you need. And Shane Gatling finally had one of those nights. So he was four of six. You had Seawert go two of three, uh, coming off that great performance against, uh, Northern Iowa. You had Deshaun Schwartz go two of four. The problem is those are the only guys who made threes. Again, you have 50 guys making 50% of their three or three guys making 50% of their threes. You feel like you should have a decent shooting night. And they did. They finished eight of 18 from three over 40% better than their field goal percentage. But you still need, you know, you can't let McKinley Wright go over four. Um, only other attempted three, I guess, was Eli Parquet. You need a few guys, two guys even, two guys to, to make to two of four or three of five threes, something in that range or better. And then you need a couple other guys to just throw in one here or there. They didn't quite have that. Um, but again, Shane Gatling doing what he did is very big for this team. And I, I really do believe that going forward. Um, as you kind of look at what is going on with this offense, because Shane Gatling is, he, he isn't in that top tier of guys right now. There's Tyler Bay and McKinley, Wright, And those are the guys where everything is going to work around. Then you have guys like Evan Batty, you know, you, some, some really good players, but the, then when you get in that edge of that top five, that starting lineup, that's where you find a guy like Shane Gatling, who, you know, if he strings together a couple games like this, could find himself in the starting lineup. Um, you know, he started a lot of games last year. It's it's good to see that you have an option there. And I'm not necessarily sure that they always had an option. You know, they, they started the season with Dalen Kuntz um, s- starting and then switched it for Eli Parquet a couple weeks ago. If Shane gets hot, all of a sudden Shane could be uh, that guy going forward. That's the type of problem we thought we were going to have with this team, is that there would be too many guys to to give them all the minutes they deserve. Um, to you'd have too many guys worthy of starting, and so you would have to bench one or two, or even more. Now. Now, if you have a couple of guys off the bench, Lucas Seward doing this as well, who are making that happen, that's really big. And I think that that even could be kind of the start of things starting to work out for the Buffs uh, going forward uh, in terms of their offense. Uh, Seward, again, he he was actually their second leading scorer um, after being the leading scorer against Northern Iowa. You're, you're starting to see some options. A couple guys break out, but you still need more from McKinley Wright. You know, against Colorado State, he can't go one of 11. That just can't happen. Uh, he needs more than two points. He's he's too good for that. 
Tyler Bay should be putting up a lot more than nine. Evan Batty should be putting up more than three. It's it was another tough night. That's pretty much all it was. Twenty one turnovers. And what really killed them was that Colorado State only had twelve. You know, that's kind of been the story for Colorado this season is that they they turn the ball over a lot, but they force even more turnovers, an absurd amount of turnovers. Um, when that doesn't happen, when you turn the ball over nine more times than your opponent, uh, you should lose that game. Luckily, they were playing a Colorado State team that was at a severe talent disadvantage. You know, when you look at the rebounds, Colorado beat them 44-32. That cancels out the turnovers pretty much. It's just too tight. It's just way too tight. Um, I really don't have all that much more to say about it. Uh, you, you you just need to get the offense going. Um, you can't be putting up 56 points against Colorado State. Allowing 48, that's solid. That's a solid defensive outing. Especially, uh, you know what? Nico Carvacho did a great job on him. I did think that he'd have more than nine. Um, they didn't let anybody kill them. There's that. Okay, um, let's move on. This is going a little bit long. We'll have a lot more basketball talk this week, especially as we get into, you know, you know, Kansas weekend was a really big weekend, obviously, but this Dayton weekend honestly might be even bigger just because Colorado has a real shot to go in there and win. Um, again, they're going to have to play a little bit better basketball than they've been playing, but I do think that that is very much on the table, much more than I thought that the Kansas game was a potential win, even though, you know, the Buffs were undefeated going into that, um, and now they're, they've, they've lost two of their last three. I, I could see it happening for sure, could definitely see it happening, because I do think that that very much will be the identity of this team is just kind of they they grind it out it isn't going to be pretty they're going to play good defense they're going to do enough to get by and win the game um going to be a lot of tight games uh, if it didn't happen against northern iowa i think that down the road that probably does turn out to be a fluke kansas is just a really good team but i do think that colorado is just a grinded out type of team and uh all of a sudden if they beat dayton things kind of change because that's that's a caliber of team that, you know, I, I don't think that they can beat without getting the offense on track. If they can beat them without getting the offense on track, then that kind of changes some things. Then all of a sudden you're saying, wait, if, if this offense does get on track, then who else can they beat? Are, are we saying that they would be competing for an Elite Eight per appearance? Because that would be pretty crazy. But, again, if, if you can beat Dayton by playing this grinded-out, ugly, we-don't-even-have-an-offense type of basketball, that would be huge going forward. I don't think that they can. I think that they're going to need to improve offensively. But, again, playing good teams is very telling. Um, and sometimes playing great teams isn't all that telling just because they're so much better. They have just so much talent. Um, it's It's very hard to beat them, especially when you're – not expecting to play very good basketball going into it, um, at least in terms of your potential. Okay, now that's actually enough basketball talk. Um, like I said, big weekend. There will be plenty more coming. Um, next up, oh, wait, no. Ryan's going to tell you about Blake Street Tavern, pretty much my favorite place on earth, and uh, then I will be uh, back to talk about some of the true freshmen who will be signing on Thursday who I think could contribute on the field this year. What's up, guys? Ryan Konigsberg here, and I got to tell you about the Blake Street Tavern. It's my favorite sports bar in town, as evidenced by the fact that we had our fantasy draft there. It's where I watched Super Bowl 48. It's where I watched CU win a Pac-12 basketball championship back in the day. Uh, it's the place to be for any sporting event. It's the biggest bar in town. I always joke you could land a 747 in there. It was named the National Sports Bar of the Year in 2017 by Nightclub and Bar Magazine. It wins Best Sports Bar in Denver 
seemingly every year from Westward, anyone else that's voting. It's the place to be. Uh, they've got great specials, and the food is out of this world. I recommend the nachos, the green chili fries, uh, the buffalo chicken wrap, you name it, they've got it. And the location is perfect, just two blocks north of Coors Field, and they have parking. So go check out the Blake Street Tavern. Okay. Uh, thank you, Brian, for that. Love Blake Street Tavern. Um, let's just dig into it. We're, we're already running a little bit longer than I wanted to. Um, guys who I think could contribute next year, let's just run through the list. Um, starting with the number one commit in the class, Ashad Clayton, the running back. I think he factors in. Um, again, uh, actually, we haven't had a chance to talk about this on the podcast. His his high school career ended in Louisiana. Um, he's a four-star running back. Buffs pretty much poached him from LSU. He had big-time offers, pretty much all the big-time offers. One of their best recruits in a while. Um, very high potential with Ashad Clayton. Could be an NFL guy. Um, so there's the background. In the playoffs in Louisiana high school football, which just ended this weekend, Ashad had 1,200 rushing yards. Pretty crazy. What's even crazier is that he had 19 touchdowns. Okay, that sunk in. 19 touchdowns just in the playoffs. Playoffs alone. That's pretty incredible. Um, You can watch the tape. He's fast. He's powerful. He has jukes. He has spins. He has everything you could be looking for. Six foot, 200 pounds. Pretty much a prototypical running back. Probably pack a couple more pounds onto him, put him at that 210 range, and then all of a sudden he's, again, prototype. He's going to factor in. I don't know whether he's going to be the number three, whether he's going to be the number one. Um, I think either is possible. I think there's a good chance that he and Jaron Mangum are competing for the number two spot before behind Alex Fontenot. You're not going to be able to keep him off the field. Uh, that's my take. Um, number two commit Christian Gonzalez from the colony. He's a safety. Um, again, a four star, the second of Colorado's two four stars. I do think that he plays next year. Um, it's an interesting case. It's definitely an interesting case. Um, but, the biggest reason I think that he plays is that the Buffs just need another safety. Um, I don't know that he's going to be the number one guy. I don't know that he's going to be in the normal rotation. But I do think that at some point somebody gets hurt and he's out there on the field because he's just the next man up. also think it's possible that you know Mark Perry might turn out to be a better free safety, strong safety than he is a star and that Christian Gonzalez fits in there. Right now, your safeties, again, because Mark Perry's one, we're kind of calling that star spot where he is playing as a safety, a uh, a safety spot. In that case, you have three safeties. It's him, it's Darian Rakestraw. We don't know who the third is. Um, Trey Udofia, maybe? I don't know. Uh, Christian could probably compete. I also think that the fact that he committed pretty late um, mid-November? I think it was mid-November. Uh, that that makes me think that it might be a little bit more likely because that could be that could be the that late push from the coaching staff saying, "Hey, you come in here, we'll we'll find a way." Um, probably again needs to put a couple pounds on, but I think that he sees the field. Uh, Brendan Lewis, number three commit, quarterback from Melissa, Texas. I think he plays. I really do think he plays. Um, not a guarantee, uh, but but I do think that right now he's my favorite to be the day one starter. Even if he's not the day one starter, I do think that he probably at some point, I mean, I, I doubt he's lower than number two on the depth chart. And so I would guess that he is, uh, he at least see the field there. I think he does play. Um, let's move on to number four, Brendan Rice, wide receiver. I'd guess no. 
I think this is probably redshirt year. I think that there's so much talent at wide receiver that he won't be able to break through as a freshman. And again, again, I, that's not a surprise. How many true freshmen have? Uh, really, not many at all. There's just so many options. You might as well redshirt the guy, keep him for the 2024 season when he's going to be a lot better than he would be in the 2020 season. Um, there is a path, though, for sure. Uh, there's there's a chance that he's one of their best receivers uh, day one. He's he's one of that five or six who, who are going to rotate in. Um, and that's because... There are very few proven wide receivers on this roster, although there are a lot of talented wide receivers. Um, so I'd say no for Brendan Rice. Again, there's a path. Jordan Berry, another interesting one. Defensive tackle, uh, another late commit, 6'2", um, 323. And that's the reason I think he plays. Because he has the size, and for those defensive line spots, the size is what's probably most important for a young player. There are a lot of skills that go into uh, playing defensive line just like any other position. But if you aren't big as a freshman, you you just can't go on the field because you'll get pushed around. Um, Over 320 pounds, there you go. Again, he's he's in kind of a tough spot on that defensive line just because there there are so many guys coming back. Uh, Antonio Alfano's coming in. Uh, we haven't heard whether Jason Harris, uh, a defensive end, is going to commit here, but there's a decent chance that that happens. It's going to be very competitive to get snaps. Uh, he's probably trying to get the backup spot behind Jalen Sami. It's possible because they rotate so deep on that defensive line. You know, I think he's, I think there's a pretty good chance that he's a part of that normal rotation. Um, it might not happen right away. It might take half a season for him to get into it. Um, and even if he doesn't, I do think that he's just outside that rotation. And when somebody again inevitably just goes down with injury, he's gonna have to sub in whether it's for three or four series, or whether it's for four or five games. Uh, Jake Ray, another fun one. Um, Tackle from Marietta, Georgia, 6'5", 300 pounds, an offensive tackle, probably a left tackle. Um, This is tough to project. With Arlington Hambright moving on, there is an open spot on the offensive line. I think I've been able to hedge myself a little bit um, with some of the other positions, defensive line, wide receiver, because they use such deep rotations that you know you're you're pretty confident that some point they're going to get on the field. And again, you know injuries happen all over the place. They happen at offensive line too. But projecting a tackle to miss a few games is a little bit more bold than saying uh, Jordan Berry gets on there and gets some snaps um i do think that there's a chance that he plays and again if if somebody gets hurt there's a decent chance Uh, frank phillip is probably the favorite i'd say he's definitely the favorite to be the starting right tackle next year william sherman will probably move back to left tackle but there could be some competition there um I don't think Jake Ray wins it. I am not willing to bet on an injury to a tackle. And so I'll say that Jake Ray doesn't play next year. But there's a path for sure. Um, Caleb Faria, another fun one. These, I don't know. We're going we're to spend a lot of time talking about these guys. But uh, Caleb Faria, a tight end, 6'5", 220. Um, you know, I, I think that he does play just because there's room for him at tight end. Um, you know, Brady Russell played incredibly well 
I I was really surprised by a lot of the things that he did this year. Um, and, you know, I remember early in the season, he was one of the guys who I had to, like, consistently, like, check back because I'd be like, he's a sophomore, right? And I would not be confident in that at all because of how well he was playing. And that just kind of grew throughout the year. And that's definitely going to be one of my memories of the depth chart is just looking back at Brady Russell over and over again. But uh, he really did look good. He He's kind of a chess piece. You put him in a couple different spots. Um, he can do a lot of different things well. He's the number one. I don't think there's any doubt at all. But when you look at the depth chart behind him this year, you have you know Jalen Harris. You have Bo Bisharad. Uh, Jared Poplowski played well. I think he's going to be in there. But I also think that this is a team that will go a little bit heavier uh, in terms of personnel. I think there's going to be room for some three tight end sets. And I think that uh, Foria is is part of that group. Um, Mr. Williams, a late commit um, from out uh, as an outside linebacker uh, out of California. That was just like a week ago. Uh, I guess it was like two weeks ago. But uh, I don't think that he plays. I again, there's a path, uh, especially with Alex Changham graduating. Um, Nuomoto Fallow, Nuomoto, Nuomoto Fallow graduating um there's a path I don't think that Mr. Williams gets through if he does again it's going to be for a game or two um from there on down things get tough Carson Lee the center I think that he's going to be a big piece going forward not sure that he can beat out Joshua Gines next year a torn Pittman outside linebacker it's similar boat to Mr. Williams a guy Thomas another outside linebacker Montana, Montana, Lamonius Craig, he, he's going to take some time to develop at receiver, uh, all the way through, uh, I really think that the rest are going to have tough times, uh, getting, getting any action on the field, I don't know, it's kind of interesting to run through, uh, just to, just to recap the guys who I think we will see, uh, Ashad Clayton, we're going to see quite a bit of, Christian Gonzalez, I do think we will see. I don't know whether he's going to start at any point in the season, but I could see him as a guy who, you know, week seven, week eight, becomes a starting safety, starting star. Uh, Brendan Lewis, I think the quarterback has a good chance to be a day one starter, um, or game one starter. They're going to make him fight for it. Uh, Brendan Rice has a path. It's just so hard to break through at wide receiver. Jordan Berry, defensive tackle. I think that he, I think he was part of the rotation. Um, if not, he's going to be just outside. We'll see some time. Jake Ray, I don't think will get much time at tackle. Um, Caleb Faria, I think does get the third tight end spot and gets just a little bit of run next year in heavy packages. Okay, um, there we go. That was all that. Um, I'm going to get out of here quickly, leave a comment and I'll read it on the show tomorrow on Tuesday, respond to it. Good questions. We'll get a lot of time. Um, thanks for listening and I'll be back tomorrow. I think they like my Colorado sway. Cause when I'm in it play, I don't really, I don't really know just how to act. And when I'm in it go, you know I'm acting bad. Holly get a bus with my Colorado sway. See you later, baby. baby. Colorado Army with soldiers like the Navy. Yeah. And voters where we stationed, patiently awaiting. When I hit the field, it's so hard to behave. Yeah. I'm Colorado swagging as the crowd do the wave. Look into my eyes, I can tell that you afraid. Uh-huh. Cause you know we finna hit you. Hit you. Hit you. Hit you. Hey, hey. you on your own now. Why you watching the official? Yeah. You just better hope you make it to the next whistle. And we ain't playing with you, you can get it. Like my Colorado swag, cause when I'm in it play, I don't really, I don't really know.
just how to act. And when I'm in it, go, you know I'm acting bad. Holly, get a bus with my Colorado sway. My Colorado sway. My Colorado sway. I think they like, I think they like my Colorado sway. My Colorado sway. My Colorado sway. Man, I swear, I think they like my Colorado sway. Have you ever seen a